This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, part two of a conversation with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Friedman is a physician specializing in cardiology and molecular biology who has helped thousands of people with his breakthrough and empowerment program that combines his medical expertise with NLP, timeline therapy, clinical hypnotherapy, and more. With Sounds True, Friedman has created a new book called The Fear and Anxiety Solution, a breakthrough process for healing and empowerment with your subconscious mind. He's also created a four-session audio series where he leads listeners in guided practices for tapping the power of the subconscious mind. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Friedman and I spoke about cellular memory and a natural blueprint for wholeness that we all possess. We also talked about our essence and how we can root ourselves in our essence instead of a continual experience of low-level anxiety. Finally, we talked about the subconscious inner protector that is at the root of our negative self-talk and Friedman's parts reintegration process for working with the inner protector. Here's my conversation with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Friedman, I wanted to have this second conversation with you because there were some very interesting and, I think, important ideas that you introduce in your new book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, that we didn't have a chance to talk about in our first conversation that I'd love to bring up with you now. And the first one is this whole idea of cellular memory. And, you know, do our cells actually remember from our birth experience from early in our life? How can a cell, quote unquote, remember something? I mean, it's a cell, after all, it doesn't have a brain. So talk to me a little bit about this concept of cellular memory. You know, cellular memory is something that uh, in in Eastern traditions is a, a well-accepted fact, at least, you know, from, from the perspective of healing. And it came more into the Western tradition uh, forefront of the mind of also the medical field when people had these strange phenomenons after trans, you know, heart transplants, especially heart transplants, but also liver transplants, where the, the people that received those transplants from people they didn't even know all of a sudden took on a certain kind of uh, tastes or preferences, whether it's uh, they liked all of a sudden you know a certain dish or 
or they had certain even memories that they never you know recalled before that uh, made them wonder is is this something that has to do with the surgery with the transplant i received and uh, and some of those people investigated further and wanted to know what's behind that and um, there have been very interesting cases and again it's not necessarily a study that has been really done scientifically but there have been cases where going back to the family of the person who was donating the organ confirmed that what these recipients experienced was really exactly that what the what the donor had uh, as a preference or what experiences this person had in their life so it was fascinating and, and the question is is there a consciousness in the cells is there a consciousness in the organ the people received and and that's one of those um, ideas of well maybe our cells are not only uh, made of, from what we can see, but really there is a there is a wisdom, there is a consciousness inside that can also then transcend beyond the boundaries of the cell and, and actually affect us, affect our nervous system, affect our awareness. Now the other cellular memory um, evidence I think many people have experienced is that the the memories of past traumas come back to the surface uh, in the course of a of a physical treatment i had several clients that told me that they remembered uh, for example abuse from their childhood after a massage or a chiropractic treatment uh, for decades they had completely suppressed that uh, that memory and then when there was a certain touch or a certain area was moved, all of a sudden all these emotions and then all these images came back to the surface, flashing into the mind. And, um, and that's another sign of, uh, of cellular memory. And, and I believe that our subconscious actually uses the body to store emotions and store memories in, in our cells. And I think we all had this experience that our body reacts to certain you know, circumstances and and emotions. When we are stressed, we often feel tension and tightness, or our body responds with some, uh, you know, for example, uh, gastritis when you have a lot of anxiety. So there is certainly a, a mind-body connection we are all aware of. And so the question is, do the cells actually not only react in the moment, but do they actually change in the course of a of a chronic uh, emotional onset, a chronic uh, condition, and do these changes then represent the cellular memory? These are all questions that haven't been really answered, but I'm just fascinating. I th I'm fascinated by the idea that um, we can actually heal our our emotions and our memories from both ends so not only from the uh, from the mental emotional side but also really making sure that we are clearing and cleansing out our our physical memory and our physical side and and making sure that we truly renew ourselves on all levels uh, of our being so the idea that our cells store emotions store memories can you help me understand i mean here you are you're a physician that specializes in cardiology and molecular biology, so you may be someone who can actually help me understand this. What's the mechanism for that? Well, you know, until probably two decades ago, the the common belief was that our 
ourselves and our thoughts and our emotions are pretty separate and uh, that our body pretty much operates on its own and uh, and we are just, you know, watching what it does. Now, then they discovered so-called neuropeptides and cytokines that are basically little tiny molecules uh, and hormones that are released through uh, our nervous system and uh, associated cells. Now, what these cells are doing is not only uh, in the nervous system transferring some information, these uh, cytokines are actually traveling through the entire body, in the bloodstream, in the lymphatic system, and therefore affect pretty much every little nook and cranny of our being depending on what the release is prompted by. And, you know, it's, it's interesting sometimes how, you know, I was watching something on TV the other day where somebody had, I think, a, a dentist uh, treatment and uh, all of a sudden had pain, and, and I could physically feel the pain of the person in the same area because I had experienced it. And uh, so there was definitely um, a connection from the visual to then also the physical, to the area where the person on TV was treated that I could relate to and, um, you know, empathize to. Now, what happens when these cytokines are released, they are traveling through different cells and, and docking on so-called cell receptors. And cell receptors are basically like a lock and key mechanism. And uh, the cytokines being the keys, the receptors being the lock. As soon as cytokines are docking onto the appropriate receptor, certain mechanisms are starting to to uh, begin inside the cells, and those mechanisms, there are other transmitters involved, are going all the way down into the nucleus, into the core of the cells where our DNA and uh, all the genetic, genetic information resides. And then what happens is usually that in that core, in that nucleus of the cells, certain proteins are starting to get produced in response to the cytokines. And what that production of proteins does is not only a momentary change, it can be a structural change. It can be that the entire cells, how they look like and how they operate and uh, how they behave, completely changes through that cytokine that originally has been released in response to a thought or a feeling. So what cytokines are doing, they are basically the bridge between our, our thoughts and emotions and the physical body, the cells, and they are then what determines often how the cells act and how they look like and, uh, and how they behave. And, uh, and that's certainly something that uh, more and more is in the interest of, um, of understanding what those factors do also when it comes to health and, and illness. And, uh, the, the, you know, Bruce Lipton that, you know, Dr. Bruce Lipton you're very familiar with, he definitely, his life's work is all about those phenomenons, how our beliefs and how our emotions are shaping the, the morphology of, of the cells and, and the behavior of the cells. So once cytokines were discovered, uh, basically there was a, a correlate, a scientific correlate to the mind-body connection. And uh, once people could, uh, or researchers could find that the cells actually are changing according to, uh, you know, the, the conditions they are in and, and a cytokine release due to long ongoing stress and anxiety is an ongoing condition that the cell is in, 
So the cell is literally taking on the shape of an anxious cell. And, and you could say, well, that is probably the memory because it has been transformed into a cell that is, um, you know, basically looking like a cell that has been under a lot of stress and a lot of uh, emotional pressure for a long time. Now, I'm certainly imagining people who are listening and are thinking, God, you know, I think my cells might be in a chronic state of anxiety from whatever memories have been imprinted on them. And I might not even be aware. It's kind of like a low level of anxiety yeah. that's below the surface. Can you talk about that and how you address that in your work? Well, the good news is that um, the, the three-dimensional body is, is not as fast and doesn't change as, as uh, rapid and as, uh, I think, uh, also profound uh, as, as the mind can do it. It takes longer time. It takes a longer impact, which is good because often, you know, if, if we would just think, you know, a situation, oh, that kills me or that's, uh, you know, really getting me sick, we would literally become sick if the body would immediately take on this message and react to it. So, uh, you know, most listeners can just relax and say, okay, you know, my body is actually pretty forgiving in many ways, and, and it takes a lot for it to, to change. Now, the other, uh, you know, fact is that the cells are really turning around very quickly. Every day we are losing billions of cells in our body. This was actually the topic I was uh, interested in in my research in this process called apoptosis. And apoptosis is cell suicide. It's programmed cell death. And, and in the philo philosophical way, you could say it is the decision cells are making to let go uh, for the greater good of the wholeness of, of the body. And so that allows us to have a huge turnaround to really know that we are basically within two to three years uh, renew ourselves. And so even if there are cells that have been damaged or that have been under stress, they are not staying around. I mean, there's only a few organs that don't do this turnaround, like the like the heart, for example. But in general, our cells are really not lasting very long, turning around, and new cells come in, and you have literally a fresh start. Okay, that's a hopeful message. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, what I'm tuning into is, let's say someone, as they're listening to this, knows that they had some kind of traumatic experience in right. their early childhood, and they're having this sense that their cells are storing a memory of mm -hmm. this trauma. How in your work are you going to help that person change and release this cell memory? Well, first we, you know, when we, as I said in the last interview, when we remove the emotional baggage from the past and uh, the storage of the subconscious through the pattern resolution process, that, uh, that energy that was trapped not only in the subconscious but also on a on a deeper level on the on the physiological level is released by finding resolution and completion with those past events and and the way you can tell is that that people feel literally a, a weight has been lifted off them their body is relaxing and often and physical symptoms they had for a long time are disappearing and, uh, you know, where does the subconscious store memories, you know, other than 
in in the cells and in the ner- nervous system. So by by really finding this this subconscious uh, release process as as a way to let this energy come through and then out of you, you already feel there are profound changes. I also offer uh, a very specific meditation that allows you to to work with your cells to to fill them more with that energy of wholeness and your essence and really direct your cells to to go back to their original blueprint of of wholeness of of healing so you you have to understand that uh, you know the the cells for cells and for our body to be in a in a stress situation is not it's not natural it, it's something that uh, you know it has to be pushed basically to to be there so if you remove the fuel of that push if you remove that emotional charge the cells have a natural ability then to go back into this homeostasis and that inner balance and uh, this is often very interesting because people don't necessarily come to me when I work in private practice because of their emotional uh, challenges, but often because of their physical challenges, chronic uh, allergies or chronic pain or even autoimmune diseases. And what happens is that uh, we are looking for the root cause. What is actually not only the body trying to tell us with those symptoms, what are the what's the metaphorical meaning of it, but also where did it start? You know, where did this body get out of balance and create those physical problems, possibly as a message for the client to understand here is an issue you need to still deal with, maybe an issue with defensiveness, maybe an issue with uh, being in conflict with yourself or holding still on to, to a weight of the past. Once these uh, root causes are addressed, and not intellectually addressed, not just you know talking yourself out of it, but really addressed on a on a deeper subconscious level, so that you feel, I outgrew it. This is not anymore an issue for me. The body is actually readjusting, and the symptoms disappear, and uh, and that's where the the natural healing potential in our body really resides. It it just really goes back to to that state of wholeness once that uh, that what really got it out of balance is addressed. Now, this is very interesting. You're stating that you believe there's this original blueprint or natural state of wholeness. Or you're saying an original state of being in contact with our essence. Can you say more about that? What gives you such clarity that this is some original blueprint we all have? Well, you know, when you really think about the the greatest magical um, feat that uh, we as human beings are able to do is actually starting right at the beginning where we form out of you know two cells from two different people, the sperm and an egg, this convolute uh, of of little tiny cells that are somehow then in a in a in a wisdom that we still you know not understand completely create a whole body. And it creates it in a way that it really follows a map. It knows exactly where to put an arm. You know, you don't have a toe coming out of your forehead. It just really sits at the right and perfect place, you know, usually. And and so that wisdom inside, you know, and the, the wisdom to really wait and, and create and, uh, and, and also utilize that what is given from the mother is is something that I have deep trust in that um, this is the blueprint of of 
truly our our wholeness and our uh, and our state of well-being and and then being able to to adjust and adapt to after birth to being able to not only you know basically vegetate and be dependent but uh, move from a constantly lying down place to sitting up and crawling and then walking all of those things are happening automatically all of those things are driving us to move forward. We are not forced to do those things. There is just a natural desire, a natural blueprint to evolve. And Yeah, but Friedman, let's take an example of someone, let's say, whose mother was in a very stressful situation and was smoking all of the time and, you know, doing other challenging health behaviors. Wouldn't that little fetus pick up on all of that anxiety and wouldn't all of that anxiety be part of the cellular makeup of the fetus from perhaps very, 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 very early on in its gestation? Well, it definitely is true that, uh, you know, alcohol smoking is affecting the the evolution of, of a baby in, in the womb and uh, also emotional challenges. And uh, I often when I work with clients on, on these subconscious root causes, actually end up in experiences in the womb where the subconscious had actually picked up the stress. And it's, it's quite sometimes amazing. I remember one client who, who in a session told me that uh, the root cause of his anxiety and his stress really felt like uh, it was drowning, and it was drowning sometime early, you know, in the womb when he was uh, four or five months in the womb. And he had no idea about it, but he went back to his mother and, and she confirmed that she actually was drowning almost, uh, swimming in a lake in the summer and uh, was in great panic and distress, but just never, you know, thought about uh, telling him this story. And so our subconscious certainly picks things up. Our cells are picking um, toxins up, they're picking uh, the, the stressors up that uh, the mother surrounds them with, but that doesn't mean that we cannot actually come back to, to that healing. It's the same thing that happens when we are in a, in a stressful situation for years as adults. We are changing to that. We are uh, basically adjusting to, the, to those pressures, but once they are removed, we are coming back to a place of balance. So the imbalance just has started already in the womb. One of the things that I find really fascinating about uh, uh, genetics is that when I was actually you know, involved in research, we still, you know, there was just a time where the, the human uh, genetic coding was finally revealed and, and what turned out to be so amazing to, to the researchers was that only a very small percent of the genetic coding was actually utilized and uh, 90 plus percent was just laying around and uh, initially was called junk DNA. But then later on it turned out that this is actually not junk. This is more like a warehouse. This is really just uh, more uh, a huge amount of information that isn't always used, but when it needs to be used, it can be activated and it can replace uh, genes that have been uh, maybe wrongfully activated through, for example, stressors or toxins. And once those are removed, those genes can be turned off and other genes that are doing a much better job to, to take over can be turned on. So we, we literally have, even on a genetic level, an unlimited potential. The question is just, are
are we allowing this potential to unfold? Are we giving it the space to unfold? And and this is where not only the environmental circumstances, uh, you know, like smoking, alcohol, and so on, play a role, but really also how our emotions play a huge role. And uh, and this is what I mean with giving, um, removing those uh, those pressures and those influences will automatically activate then those uh, more natural instincts inside of us to replace that was not working with what is working. Here's an example from research uh, when uh, you know a colleague of mine worked on uh, on uh, the basically it was about gene uh, gene treatment. You know the idea was always you know we are basically just uh, taking our uh, some uh, some virus infusing the the information of the virus in the cells and this way allow the cells to produce anything we wanted and also to heal cancer and all these kind of things and and it all worked wonderful in in the dish so when they had these single cells everything was wonderful but as soon as this theory was put into the body it didn't work anymore and and the reason was just that the the body had a natural understanding of uh, this is something that is manipulating my original, basically, uh, my original genetic coding. It's, uh, it's uh, manipulating my original state of, of, uh, of wholeness, my original blueprint. And uh, this, what the, the researchers tried to infuse in the cells, was always rejected. So there is a wisdom inside that says, this is my blueprint, and you cannot mess with it. Now, you used an interesting term when talking about this blueprint of wholeness. You used the word essence, and I wonder if you can explain that a little more and your use of that word. Well, you know, the essence um, goes really beyond that what, uh, you know, we call the conscious mind or the subconscious mind. The essence of of a person is, for me, the, the... the core energy, the signature energy of, of who we are. And, uh, and I became very fascinated with that when uh, people went into a deep trance and, um, and connected to, to their heart. And basically, in, in, that, um, in that exercise, what I asked them to do was to to really transcend the layers of not only emotions that they had uh, buried inside of them, but also the layers of personality and imprints and beliefs about themselves and go deeper and deeper inside to, to find that what seemed to be more eternal or unlimited. And what, what throughout uh, all the clients I have uh, worked with, they found was this energy, this this light energy at the core of them, and this light energy has you know, this um, the emotional correlate of of all the goodness that uh, we are expressing in a in a very selfless way. You know, we all have the ability of uh, of being compassionate and and loving and and forgiving. And often doing those things, even though they don't make sense, even though we could uh, intellectually say, well, you know, these people don't really deserve it. Uh, you know, the fact that people jump into the into the uh, river and uh, try to save their beloved animal, 
the, the fact that people in situations like uh, in Japan at the earthquake sacrifice himself for others, there is something inside of us that even supersedes the natural survival instinct and, and wants to do good and, and support others, even if it means that you may lose your own life. And, and that's an essence that is just... Um, within the the core of our being and if we can connect to that essence there is an incredible potential there is an incredible healing potential that resides with that and uh, and, and i think the potential resides in that because it gets us into the ideal healing state it really activates our parasympathetic nervous system the part of our autonomic nervous system that's about relaxation and uh, and healing and uh, digestion and rejuvenation, when you really connect to your essence, all of your system is in that really beautiful, relaxed healing state and, and really creates that environment and the space for the, the natural healing abilities to unfold. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of Insights at the Edge, they're all available for free in a searchable database as part of our new direct access membership program. For more information, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash direct access. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, one of the things that I think is really interesting about your work is that when you're helping people resolve their fear and anxiety, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that your view is that it's not enough to release the negative imprints, but that we actually then have to take this further step where we connect with our essence. And my question about that is, why do we have to take a further step? I mean, wouldn't simply letting go of these negative patterns reveal our essence? We don't have to do anything more than that. It's That's what's there underneath, yes? Yes. And, well, the the, the problem with, uh, you know, the, the fear and anxiety, especially if it has been a fear and anxiety for a longer time, is that it really becomes our identity. And, uh, and so many people can probably relate to that. You believe that you are anxious. You believe that you are insecure. You believe that you are not good enough that brings up more anxiety. And so by simply saying, you know, I, I release all of that anxiety now and I release all of this insecurity now, the question automatically arises, who am I? You know, what, what, what's left of me? And uh, I, I heard this quite often, that people really were scared at the beginning. I'm afraid of when I let go of all of this, I am nothing. I have nothing to hold on to. And so just for that reason, it's important to, to go further than just the release and, and understand more. Well, you, your truth is actually much more than that little tiny part of you, which is the anxiety, but you just have been so... Um, literally focused and uh, engrossed in focusing on that, that you couldn't see beyond that. And what the essence 
the connection to your essence gives you is basically almost this uh, this blank uh, canvas, this uh, this fertile ground uh, on which you can then also uh, decide later on, and this is a, a part of the the processes in the book, what you really want to grow into. You know, the the, the essence basically gives you this uh, understanding. I do have unlimited potential. I have uh, an enormous a variety and uh, of uh, of wonderful traits and uh, and powers inside of me and how i express them how i want to in this moment of time in this chapter of my life uh, embody those what believe i want to basically grow into that's then the step after and uh, and that's then basically what uh, the essence gives you as as that this fertile ground to to grow further into this new identity i am uh, i'm always uh, the person who who doesn't believe that we can really answer the question who am i and so whenever we are trying to contemplate this and have an affirmation or have a certain kind of belief this is who i am we are certainly overlooking probably 99.9% of what else we are. And so just having an understanding that, yes, right now I may see myself as uh, as a father or as a successful uh, business person, but that there is really so much more inside that I can tap into and and draw from, that there is really a multidimensionality of, of a person that's what the what's the essence and the connection to the essence really give you. Now, Friedman, I'm curious what you think of approaches that just focus on connecting with our essence and the goodness and healing that comes from that. And there's no attention given to going back and uncovering anxious patterns. It just says, let's just go directly for the essence, start and end there. And that's it, because that's the most important thing. Well, I think for some people it may be exactly the the path they need to go. You know, I don't believe that there is certainly uh, one way that is right for for everyone. And uh, so the the processes that uh, I developed and uh, and offer are maybe not really ideal for everyone, because people some people may not want to go back into the past now. The, the big advantage, though, is that you really are not seeing the past only as, you know, the old garbage can that needs to be emptied, but you see the past actually as the library of life. You see the past as, this is rich. I can actually really learn from it. And and as I may have said before in the first interview, you know, our emotions and the emotional attachments to the past are not here for us to torture us or weigh us down or or torment us uh, in our in our dreams these emotional attachments to the past are really the nudges the little red flags that are telling a person go back you know this is where really the lessons are for you we have to learn in life evolutionary it's very clear that unless we are growing and evolving you know we don't have a chance in in this in this life on the earth so it was very normal right from the beginning, probably even the Stone Ages, to have this desire to further learn from mistakes and from experiences, basically learning from the past. Now, the only way we really learn from the past is if we are interested in going back into it. 
And the best way to really uh, spur our interest is through emotions. You know, if we wouldn't have these emotional attachments to the past, we would probably just ignore it and we wouldn't even think about it. And we'd just move on forward and never look back and, and never really understand, hey, you know, this is actually a pattern that you have been repeating. This is actually a strategy that's not working. You need to literally uh, heal that and become more whole as you are reflecting in the past, and then you're letting it go. And this is what the subconscious does for us. is It really wants us, through those emotions, through this baggage in the past, it wants us to, to go back and, and grow further and, and become more of who we are meant to be. So this is why I think it's a, it's a crucial step in, in growing and evolving and, and shouldn't be ignored. Friedman, I, I want to circle back as we come to the end of our conversation, back specifically to the topic of the fear and anxiety solution and working with our subconscious mind to resolve fear and anxiety. And there's one thing you talk about that I didn't really understand fully, and it's this idea of an inner protector, that we have this subconscious inner protector that's actually at the root of our anxious, negative self-talk. And I wonder if you can help me understand this inner protector a little bit more. Well, the inner protector basically is the, the part of our subconscious mind that uh, has developed itself uh, in, in response to circumstances that didn't seem very safe or not very supportive. The inner protector is a part of the subconscious that has learned that certain strategies are necessary for us to survive, to be safe, to, to get what we need. And, uh, and these strategies can look uh, very different. So, for example, if, if you know that uh, the way you respond to anxiety is usually to hide out, or you know that uh, the way you feel more safe is to please others or to be hypervigilant or to be a perfectionist or to, to be a, a person who always has to outperform themselves or, or to, you know, some people feel the most safe when they are in control, micromanaging every aspect of their life. When you really trace it back, it, it goes to an early learning that, that taught you that uh, this is the, the, the way for you to, to go through life and, uh, and to really have the need of, of safety met. And on a subconscious level, it is almost like a, a persona, a, a personality in itself, which is quite interesting because when, when you really observe your anxiety, you're probably going to find out that sometimes you are reacting to, to situations or to, to people in a way that's very immature, in a way that feels, I have done this when I was a teenager, why do I do this again? Or when you listen to your inner self-talk, you may hear a voice, a little scared voice that says, no, you can't do this, this is not safe oh, you should just better stay at home, or nobody want to hear uh, what you have to say. You know, these kind of often interpreted as self-sabotaging messages that are bubbling up from somewhere deep inside. And those messages are coming from that subconscious part, that inner protector, and have only one goal in mind, which is to hold you back so that you don't get hurt. 
And even though it may feel sometimes that it actually is counterproductive and uh, it doesn't really serve you anymore, unless you're really working with that inner protector and you're convincing that part of your subconscious that literally that strategy is no longer working and it's no longer necessary, it will faithfully just continue to do its job and try to keep you safe. And this is where people often don't like themselves. You know, they feel often in in really struggle with themselves and wonder, why do I have such a, a anxious uh, side of me? Why is it that I have also like an inner critic? You know, this part of me that always wants to, you know, put me down and always says it's not good enough. Well, you know, the inner critic is also a protective strategy which basically criticizes you before you get criticized by somebody else. Or it makes you smaller so that you don't become a target for others because it has learned, hey, being invisible and just hiding out is way better than being out there and then potentially falling prey to judgment. And so one of the processes in the book, which is called the parts reintegration, works with the the two sides that are often at a conflict uh, of the fear and anxiety. And one side is the side that that feels like, hey, I want to move forward, I want to have success, I I want to be happy and and really have a fulfilled life. And then there is another part that seems to always pull you back and always make you feel uh, anxious and insecure or small or criticized. And again, this is the inner protector that that needs to be directly addressed and worked with and uh, and made understood that there is actually a higher purpose to to life and uh, to you as a person a higher purpose than just protecting you and keeping you alive and uh, and this process helps that part actually to to aim for uh, to aim for this higher purpose and to to literally be able to work together with the quote-unquote positive side of you. And and what people experience is really a, an enormous sense of, of congruency. All of a sudden, their mind is much calmer. All of a sudden, they feel much more decisive and able to to move forward without feeling that something is pulling them back. And even more importantly, what uh, what people experience is that they have actually a deeper appreciation for what this uh, inner protector has to offer besides these old protective strategies. And there's a lot of of potential and wisdom in the inner protector that you will discover as you go through the process. So, Friedman, we don't have time here to have you guide us through the parts reintegration process, but I do think this is so important and something that is really challenging for people is making peace with this inner critic and working with this inner protector inside. And so I'm wondering, could you summarize for us how this parts integration process works? Yeah, so so basically the, the first step is to recognize that there is a part of you that actually tries to protect you and, and just uh, understand the the strategies, the protective mechanism it has been using. And so, as I said, there are all these different ways that uh, we have learned to to keep ourselves safe. Just being aware of, okay, this is the one side of me, and then having also the awareness of the opposite side, that side that just pulls more into the 
forward motions pro, uh, towards our goals. Once you have that awareness, you're basically sitting in a chair and you have your hands like little platforms uh, for these inner um, parts of you to come out. You go into a relaxed state, you breathe, you close your eyes, and you go into the emotion of the anxiety and the insecurity to begin with and really start an inner communication. You can literally, in that relaxed state, in that alpha state, talk to the inner protector and ask if it's willing to come out like a little person and stand on one of the hands and which hand it would choose. Now, what's so fascinating when you do this, you can actually feel how the the hand and the feeling on the hand is changing. Often people feel like, whoa, there is a huge weight now on my hand. It feels like it gets pulled down. After you have that part out, you ask the other opposing side also to come out, and, and then you literally have an ability to to have this um, this little conference, this uh, meeting between two sides that haven't been getting along with each other in the past. Once you have that, you start to talk to the inner protector and really ask for why it is doing what it has been doing. Now, what's so fascinating about the the connection to the inner protector is that at the, the beginning you may look at it and you may see it more as a little monster. You know, some people say it's like a dark blob and some people say it looks like a little devil. And and when you really trace back in your mind, and you can do this in that state, to when you actually felt these emotions and when you actually did this protective strategy for the first time, you can see, well, it's probably when I was five years old or seven years old. And all of a sudden, whatever this image was on your hand of the inner, inner protector is changing and shifting into a much younger self. And what changes with it is your your relationship with it. You have from feeling rejecting and feeling, uh, you know, this is nothing I want to uh, inside of me to, oh my God, you know, I feel so much openness and compassion. There's a huge shift happening right away. And, and then you talk with that part of you and listen to the answers and ask, so why are you doing what you're doing? What's the purpose? And and at the end, what you realize is that part has actually a higher purpose, a, a purpose that goes way beyond the, the protection. And that purpose is... Uh, exactly the same purpose that you're going to also hear than when you're communicating with the opposite side. And why do they have the same purpose? Well, obviously because it's come from the same place. And and that highest purpose, once they are agreeing on this is so much more important than pursuing this old way of being, you then identify what are actually your individual gifts. You know, the, the side that is more positive and uh, confident, has certainly strength and uh, maybe more extrovert, but the side that has this inner protective strategy is often the more sensitive side. And sensitivity is a gift. Sensitivity leads to insights and deeper understanding and connection and compassion and intuition. So by understanding that that side is actually much more valuable than just creating anxiety or having some kind of a protective strategy that's just annoying, there is so much more that the site has to offer. It literally changes its job description. And uh, at you know the the ending of this process is 
asking whether these two sides want to work together, whether they want to share their gifts for the higher purpose. Now, what happens in the moment when you ask, often people describe is magic, because what happens is that your hands that have been, you know, basically resting in, in midair because, you you know, holding them out there for these two parts as platforms are automatically moving together. There is a magnetic energy that is uh, emerging that brings those hands together, and you're not even aware of it. You just feel that at some point the hands are touching. And what that shows is that that energy that was used to keep those parts apart has now changed its polarity and brings them together. And this is an automatic process. And as soon as your hands are touching, you know that you have reconnected these two sides and and that uh, that split, that fragmentation had been mended. It's, it's quite powerful. And afterwards, you bring them back into your heart. And, and there are certainly some exercises you want to do afterwards to really solidify the process. But uh, usually after this integration, you won't find this conflict anymore. Friedman, I'm wondering if you'd be willing just to make this really grounded for people to share in your own life a way that you worked with an inner protector figure and how that transformed for you? Well, my inner protector was definitely the the hypervigilant uh, uh, perfectionist. And uh, it came from that deep-seated belief that started on a beautiful beach in southern France that uh, I am not smart enough. And, um, you know, from feeling very unconditionally loved and accepted by by everyone. I was truly one of those little blonde, you know, happy-go-lucky kids that didn't see anything bad or evil in the world to all of a sudden when I came to you know, the gymnasium, which is kind of the equivalent of junior high school in, uh, in America, uh, and my parents panicked and really looked at my grades for the first time and said, oops, that doesn't sound good. He will never be a doctor. And uh, that's what they wanted me to be because they were doctors themselves. And so all of a sudden I felt their pressure and their, their distrust and their comments of, you know, you you may struggle, you're probably late bloomer, you know, we want to make sure that you uh, can measure up. And um, and that, that really changed me. Obviously, I was pretty sensitive, but uh, it made really a big impact on me. And, uh, and so I developed this inner protector of having to always have all the ducks in the row and uh, be a perfectionist and, uh, and also definitely be a person who always has to prove himself constantly. And, um, and what, I, what I found is that uh, this inner protector it was a part of me that, that could never really find peace because it never found that what it was really looking for, which was a feeling of being safe and, uh, and really having trust, having trust that uh, I am enough. And when I, when I worked with these processes that I, that I described, I, I also learned to, to appreciate that this inner protector was the part of me that helped me to gain a deeper understanding of people. One of the things in, in medicine that really helped me was that there was, a, there was a really deep intuition for me to know what was wrong with people. I may have not been, you know, uh, always um, 
clear about what uh, you know the diagnosis was, but there was always a, a sense deep inside that you know you 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 need to check on this or that. There was an inner guidance, and uh, and that sensitivity and that awareness and that intuition came from that most sensitive part of me that unfortunately was also you know part of me that was very scared and insecure at the same time. And after that integration. I I just felt like uh, that uh, not only I'm feeling much more safe but now I have really access to this to this ability that the the inner protector has that is much more free flowing you know the the subtitle of the book is about empowerment and empowerment basically means not only that you feel powerful but that you have access to your power that you have really access to your full potential and if you have a part like the inner protector that basically gets rejected by you or you don't want to deal with because you feel like, hey, this is only the anxious, insecure side. But at the same time, that inner protector has so much potential and so much ability. Once you integrate that side, that ability is yours. You can actually work with the inner protector. You can actually have a greater sense of empowerment because you have tapped into a resource that beforehand wasn't really fully yours, that wasn't really integrated with yours. And and that's really, for me, it was life-changing. And do you find yourself at times becoming hypervigilant now, and do you have a different way of working with yourself when that appears? Yes, I am still hypervigilant, and I'm happy to say I'm still anxious at times. And um, that's simply a sign for me uh, you know, that I need to pay attention to, for example, that part of me, and I'm not calling it the inner protector anymore because it's not in charge of my protection. It's not in charge of uh, me being safe. I have uh, a much greater sense of me being the adult keeping that uh, protection and safety as in the forefront of you know my mind when necessary. But when I am feeling anxious or when I'm feeling hypervigilant, I know I'm out of balance and a part of me is, you know, basically falling into these old patterns to somehow be back in control or go back into balance. And and in the past, what I would have done is just like a snowball became even more hypervigilant because it feels even you know, more overwhelming and out of control the more you put on your plate and the more you try to micromanage. And it just literally spins into, uh, you know, this, this state of panic eventually and feeling completely overwhelmed. What I do now when I feel that, I stop and do the opposite. I actually go inside and, and check on myself, check through this um, checklist that's in the in the book as well, the fear and anxiety checklist that gives you uh, very good ideas where this moment of anxiety may be coming from, what kind of uh, triggers or buttons may have been pushed, but then also visualize that inner protector, that part of me that has still the ability to sometimes go into this hypervigilance and talk to that part of me and listen to that and listen to that what inside of me tells me, you know, I'm feeling right now, for example, uh, that, uh, you know, this situation is overwhelming or this person, you know, may be too critical. And, and I'm addressing this more from a calm-centered place and, and understand more that this feeling of anxiety is something that I can actually, quote-unquote, control, 
by bringing myself back into my center and back into into balance. You know, one of the classic examples for me with hypervigilance was when I gave my power away. And giving my power away basically was uh, when I, you know, took other people's opinions way more important than my own. Or when I had certain kind of goals and agenda and made those goals as uh, more critical than taking care of myself. When I worked too much and didn't really keep myself in in a place of, of balance and, uh, and also giving myself enough rest, all those kind of old patterns can always creep back in. But now I know what to do and how to listen to the early signs of uh, imbalance and, and bring myself back into that centered state. I just have one final question for you, Friedman. You know, part of what I love about your work and your approach is that there is a tremendous depth to it, and it's clear to me that if someone's interested in really following the method that you lay out in the fear and anxiety solution, you know, they're going to have to dig deep. They're going to have to do some real inner work. And at the same time, you really promise and stand by pretty remarkable results. And so I I love that balance. Okay, here's my question. What commitment do you think is necessary for people to have? What commitment to oneself is necessary to follow the program that you lay out in the fear and anxiety solution? You know, I love this question because I think... um one of the intentions I had with the fear and anxiety solution with the book was to really provide people with um, all they need, all the tools and all the insights and everything they need to totally change their course away from from that fear and anxiety and that life in fear and anxiety to to living more from from their wholeness. And uh, and it's not something that is uh, difficult to pursue because it's so nicely laid out step by step. What the investment is is certainly patience. And the patience, what I mean is, you know, I, I know many people that went through these processes in private sessions, like a, like a roadrunner very quickly, very committed, very determined. And then there are other people that just take three times as long and they just need longer to really uh, jump off the fence and make up their minds and let go of distrust. Everybody has has their own speed and their own rhythm and there is no judgment or there is no right and wrong with it. But you just need to know that when you start reading this book, you want to finish it. When you start the process, you want to finish it because as you do with every page and every chapter, you will grow. And maybe there is a chapter like negative self-talk that you're going to chew on for two weeks and you really say, you know, I'm going to put the book aside and that's what I'm going to focus on. But when you overcome that and when you really understand more deeply what this is about, you have paved the road for these other chapters to go much easier and much faster. And so you will notice where is your specific challenge? Where are the hurdles the highest for you? Spend some time with it. Really just to 
practice the tools and don't rush through the process, but really see it more as a companion that may be with you for a month, for a year, for several years. It really it, it is something that I feel can always provide you then with that next stepping stone. But before you go to the next stepping stone, just try to master the one previously. The other thing that I find besides patience and this commitment is also the willingness to take a leap of faith. You know, I, I worked actually yesterday with a client, and it was such a wonderful example of how she was she was a, a very successful but incredibly anxious lawyer and how she came in in her first session and basically all in her head and all with very doubting eyes telling me she doesn't believe that she can ever live without anxiety and that she will ever be in a place where she doesn't literally freak herself out. And But the nice thing about her was that she let herself very quickly fall into the process and simply told herself, you know what, I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to jump off the fence, have that faith that it's going to work. And uh, within uh, four months, her whole life has been changing. Everything that she had been really believing about herself in terms of limitations and insecurity is completely gone. And, and she was laughing yesterday how she was remembering the first session and how really what she was saying at that time feels so unreal and so far away. So your mind is incredibly flexible and incredibly able to change. You just have to give it permission to do that. So I recommend once you open the book, really allow yourself to fall into the processes. Don't overthink it. Don't over-question it. Just go with that and let your subconscious do the work, and at the end of it, you're going to be a changed person. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Dr. Friedman Schaub. He's the author of a new book called The Fear and Anxiety Solution, a breakthrough process for healing and empowerment with your subconscious mind, and also a four-session audio series that takes you through the guided practices of the Fear and Anxiety Solution. Friedman, thank you so much. Thanks for your work. Thanks for your straight-ahead delivery and really your, your commitment here to bringing this out and having lots of people be able to access the good work you've been doing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.